Well, good day, everybody. My name's Dan. It's um, great to be with you and to look at this part of the Bible together. Um, can I say? Can I start by saying uh, welcome? If you don't normally come along, it's so good to have you with us. And uh, and tonight, what we're doing is something um, that's quite significant. It's uh, tonight's not just another night of Netflix or another night of Survivor. I'm looking forward to catching up on it when I get home tonight. Um, because what we're doing is we're, we're opening a, an ancient eyewitness document uh, that documents for us a, a real event which happened uh, from another culture, which is itself an, uh, an interesting and engaging thing to do, to, to engage ourselves and think about uh, something that happened a long time ago from another culture to see these things. And, but it's also significant because of who it's talking about. Uh, this, this event is an eyewitness account of a moment in the life of Jesus, the man who has shaped our world like no other, uh, the man who claims to be God's very own son sent into the world, unique among all people. And so uh, I'm going to pray that God would help us to understand what this part of the Bible means tonight and it will be a good time for us. I'll pray. Hi, our Father, we're thankful for your word, we're thankful that you have uh, so helpfully, wonderfully preserved uh, the Bible for us, that we can read it all these years later, and we're thankful that in your word, you put before us the person Jesus, so that we might come to know you through him, and might have our eyes opened to spiritual things, to spiritual reality, and to see life as it truly is and ought to be seen. Please do that for us tonight, we pray. Amen. Well, one of those things that uh, really captures our imaginations is the classic good versus evil story. Uh, and it captures our imaginations because we, we all have a sense of what is right and what is wrong. And, um, and so, you know, the light side versus the dark side, there's the Jedi versus the Sith, there's Harry Potter versus Voldemort, uh, he should not be named, sorry, um, there's Batman versus the Joker, and there's all these stories and um, they capture us, they're inspiring, they're inspiring to see good triumph over evil. If in the next couple of days we were to see Ukraine kick Russia's butt and send their army, you know, with their tails wagging, we would, we would just absolutely rejoice, wouldn't we? We'd be stoked. Uh, but something that's almost universally true is that the bad guys never think they're the bad guys. Isn't that right? Uh, no one ever thinks they're the one who's in the wrong. We always think our side is right, their side is wrong. It doesn't matter that um, Putin is, is actually the villain, he doesn't think that. He doesn't think he's the bad guy. Isn't that right? The Oscars this week. Uh, Will Smith, in the moment, didn't think he was the bad guy. Now, wonderfully, he's apologised and that's really good and whatever. But we as a, as a group, us humans, we're great at drawing a line between this group and that group, between the good versus the bad, and it just so happens that I'm always the good guy. And it doesn't matter what kind of thing it is, it doesn't matter where we're drawing the line, whether it's progressives versus conservatives, versus the pro-vaxxers versus the anti-vaxxers, if it's the religious people or the rational people, it just so happens that whichever group I find myself in and all of those things, I'm always in the right. Isn't that right? If you're on, and, and the thing about it is, if you're on this side, you look at that side and you go, oh, how foolish. But if you're in this side, 
you're doing exactly the same thing. You're looking at them and going, oh, how foolish. We're always right. But here's the thing, how do you actually know if you're right? How do you know if you aren't just blind to reality? How do we know if we're, not, if we're actually blind? You know, we're confident about the truth. I'm confident that this is the camp that I want to be in that's right, but how do we actually know? Everybody's thinking the same thing. Well, what about with spiritual things? What about with spiritual reality? How do we know that our take on spiritual reality is the right one? You know, what I think about God, what I think about life, what I think about our world, what I think about life, death, heaven, hell, karma, reincarnation, resurrection. How do we know that the thing that I think and the camp that I'm in is actually the right one and that we're not just blind and fooling ourselves? that this side of the line is right and they're wrong. You know, in the last month or so, I've had conversations uh, with both a Buddhist and a Hindu about spiritual things. And what struck me about our, our conversations is that all of us thought we were right. You know, he thought I was wrong, I thought he was wrong. How do we actually know? Now, it's important that we actually do follow what we think is the truth. We do actually need to, to do this, to live life kind of thinking that everything's subjective and you can't know, it's just, that's a life of meaninglessness and, and we actually just can't live like that. It's an aimless life, it doesn't actually work, it's meaningless, it's empty. And we particularly need to seek after what is true with spiritual reality because the stakes are really high. There are massive consequences for your take on spiritual reality. It's massive. It's not just what political party or policy you like at the moment. It's whether you get life right and life into eternity right. The consequences are massive, but how do we know if we're seeing things rightly? How do we know we're in the light, not in the dark? How do we know if we're blind or we can see? Well, listen to these words from Jesus from our passage tonight. They're going to come up on the screen for us. Jesus says in verse 5, I am the light of the world. I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. In this part of the Bible tonight, Jesus claims to be the key, the light, who brings proper sight to spiritual things proper sight to people who are in the dark and yet at the same time that light that he brings which brings into focus and sight and God and the things of the world and who we are and who God is and how to live and at the same time that light that he brings that reveals those things is the same light that blinds. You know when you turn the light on and you, you're like in the middle of the night and it, it just blinds you, the same light that in the morning will light your room will blind well, Jesus says He's the light who, who sheds light on reality, but that same light will blind others. And so tonight, let's have a look at this account which we've had read for us and see where Jesus draws the line between the blind and the seeing. Let's do it. Now, I'm going to read portions of uh, our passage tonight. I'm going to kind of comment on it as we go through. Uh, but the text is going to be up on the screen. If you've got your Bible, you can follow along that way. Let's jump in. Verse 1. As he went along, 
He, that, that he is Jesus, referring to there, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So Jesus comes across this blind man and his disciples assume that someone's done the wrong thing and that's why this guy's blind. Someone's sinned, someone's rejected God, broken one of God's rules, the laws in the Old Testament, the, you know, the thou shalt nots, the Ten Commandments. Someone's broken one of those, rejecting God, throwing God off, and God is punishing this man for it. And so their equation in their mind was, here's a man who's suffering, he's done the wrong thing and God's punishing him for it. Now, I think for lots of us, we might react against that instinct, instinctively and think, that's terrible to think like that, that someone who's suffering is going through that because God is punishing them. But uh, many, many people in our world think like that. Karma works like that. Karma is you do a good thing and you will be rewarded for it. But if you do a bad thing during your life, you'll be reincarnated later and you will likely come back disabled or as a worm or something like that. That's karma. But lots of people think like that today. They think uh, the universe operates like this. And so we'll say, um, if you've done something bad, the universe will get back at you on that. Or I, I, I do good and I send out positiveness to the universe and the universe will reward me with, with goodness. Well, what does Jesus say about that? Verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus doesn't believe in karma. He believes that this blind man is there for a very specific reason, so that the works of God might be displayed in him, literally revealed in him, turned the lights on through him. Now, how's that going to happen? What's going to be the miracle, the work that Jesus will go on to do through him. Verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is claiming that God had this very special purpose for the blind man, which was that he would be encountered by Jesus, God's son, who had been sent into the world to do the works of God, to, to do things God does. Jesus was doing God things, literally. And by doing that, he would show the world, he'd turn the light on the fact of who he is. He's the, the sent one from God, come to bring salvation, to save a world that's in darkness. And God had placed this blind man in Jesus' path to make him, to do this work of God, to make him physically see, and even more than that, to give him and many of us, spiritual sight as we encounter Jesus in this account. And so in verse 6 and 7, uh, Jesus does his miracle. He, does, he performs a work of God. And it's a funny one. He, uh, he spits on the ground. He makes some mud with saliva. He sends the man to wash and the man comes home seeing. Apparently there's a movie called Mary Magdalene that's got Joaquin Phoenix starring in it as Jesus. Has anybody seen that? couple of people have seen that. And I've not seen it, but apparently it, st uh, it starts with this miracle. But um, Phoenix said, I'm not doing that. I'm not spitting on the ground and creating... What a terrible way to introduce someone to sight in the world. He thought Jesus, you know, should have just spoken or something like that. 
But the thing to notice about it, as weird as it is, and we'll come back to it, as weird as it is, the thing to notice about it is that the Bible is unapologetically making a claim about the miraculous. This is, this is not a normal thing to do. People don't normally, who are blind from birth, just suddenly be able to see. And the Bible's saying that that's exactly what happened. Jesus did a very weird thing, but by it, he brought about this man's, the restoration of his sight. Literally performing an act of power, a work of God. Which, depending on the way you see the world, you might, uh, that might automatically close you off. You might say, no, nah, I'm done. Had enough, thanks. Because you might think the miraculous, this, this sort of thing just doesn't happen. And so therefore, uh, this either just didn't happen or Jesus was a sweet magician and he's, he's conned a bunch of gullible first century people. Well, uh, let me just give you a couple of quick thoughts on that. One of the problems with that theory is that this is not an isolated event. In fact, just in this eyewitness account alone in the Gospel of John, this is the sixth sign we're now up to, the sixth miracle. And John is kind of really intentionally, the author, recording these things Jesus did so that we might see the reality of them. And so he's careful about who's there and when it happened and he's, he's writing just things that he saw. Um, but even more than that, he did the, all these miracles in full view of everybody, even in front of the people who we'll see in, in a little while, completely rejected him. But even they themselves, the people who reject Jesus, even they don't deny the fact of, of his miracles. Well, what about maybe these people are just gullible first century primitives, superstitious people who'd believe anything? Well, the problem with that is they're no stupider than we are. They didn't have iPhones, sure, but there was a great author and thinker from the 20th century named C.S. Lewis and he coined this neat little phrase, uh, chronological snobbery, where he talks about generations looking back on previous generations in snobbery saying, what fools, we are so much more scientific and enlightened and knowledgeable and smarter than they are. Actually, these people were no more used to seeing miracles than we are. And so what we're going to find out right now as we keep reading is that when they see something incredible, they don't just go, whoa, whippy! They, they think, whoa, surely this can't be the man. This sort of thing doesn't happen. And so they investigate. And in fact, there's three or four investigations that happen throughout this thing. So let's, let's have a look at this next part. Chapter 9, verse 8. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some, some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man, I am. But then, how were your eyes opened, they asked. See, they're not gullible. And he said, the man they called Jesus made some mud and he spit on my eyes, he put it on my eyes, he told me to go and go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and now I could see. Where is the man, they asked. I don't know. Surely this can't be the bloke, they say. Surely this must just look like him. He's a lookalike, he's a doppelganger. These were not gullible people, but they can't escape the reality of it. 
the man himself, when he's asked how it happened, there's this sense of bewilderment in him. And so all he does is he just reports the facts. The man they called Jesus was there, he put mud in my eyes, he told me to go, I went. This amazing thing happened. But here's where the investigation, it progresses, but it it takes a real turn. Because now this group called the Pharisees get involved. And the Pharisees, they're the religious leaders of the day. They're the the ones that people look to, to be taught about how to um, think about God and follow God. And and the Pharisees had already made up their minds about Jesus. They'd already drawn a line and they'd said, no, Jesus... He's, a fa- he's false, he's not from God, he's over here. And so they'd made up their mind already. And what we find out in verse 14 is that Jesus, he'd healed this man on the Sabbath, their Saturday. And the thing for them was, you don't do work on the Sabbath, you have to go to the beach on Saturday. And they were really strict about it. And the Pharisees were really strict about it. And they added all these extra laws. You can only drive to the beach through Terrigal Drive. You don't take a scenic route. That's extra work. Get to the beach and relax. And so they had all these rules. And Jesus had done this thing, this work, this miracle. It's even called a work of God. He'd done this work on a Saturday. He should have been at the beach. And so they, find, they take this as the way to just write him off. And so for, for the Pharisees, that's all they needed. Jesus is not the light, he's in the darkness, he's doing works on the Saturday. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others ask, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. And then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He's a prophet. Now, here's one of the things you need to know about Jesus. You know the fight or flight thing when you're faced with confrontation and you either, you you don't want it, so you flight uh, or you stand up, you arc up and you fight. Well, Jesus is is a fight kind of guy. When he's confronted, he fights. Not when it comes to physical altercations. He's the guy who says, turn the other cheek. He's the guy who lets people put nails in his hands on a cross. But when it comes to the Pharisees, he stands up for himself. And so, Jesus here has actually deliberately provoked the Pharisees. He's done this on a Sabbath, knowing it's a Sabbath. Jesus knew his Old Testament. And here's the mud thing, right? Why did he he create mud? Well, it's likely because he has to work to create mud. He, He makes something. He makes clay. He doesn't just say... uh, See, now earlier on in John's Gospel, in chapter 5, Jesus healed a man just by saying, a man who couldn't walk, he said, get up, and the man got up. Jesus could have said to this guy, see, and he would have seen. But Jesus deliberately doesn't do that. He goes an extra step further, creates clay, and wipes it on the guy, because it's a Sabbath. And he wants to provoke the Pharisees. You see, for the Pharisees, all their claims about being spiritual people, about being moral and upright and holy and good and the ones who follow God, for all of that, Jesus knows their hearts and Jesus wants to bring out that heart that's hostile to Him, that's actually in the darkness. And Jesus shows this because when He, God's Son, actually turns up, 
they reject him. And so the Pharisees, they see him work on the Sabbath and they're determined to catch him out. And so after they've interviewed the man, they go, oh, how can we get it? Let's go to his parents. Let's find out. And so they go and they interview his parents. Verse 19, is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? And the parents say back, we know he's our son. The parents entered. Uh, We know he was born blind, but how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. Now, it sounds as if the parents don't know that Jesus healed him. But listen to the very next thing that John tells us, verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Now, I wonder, do you believe, are there any things that you believe that you hold to be true that you hold back from saying publicly for fear that people will reject you for it? The blind man's parents know that Jesus was the one who healed him. There was no other guy at that time walking around Jerusalem for three years doing these incredible things. Jesus was the guy, it was clear. They knew it. But they knew that if they recognize that and they say it, these guys are going to kick them out of the synagogue, which would be a huge thing for a Jewish person. And his parents are evidently not fight people, they're flight people. And so they say, I don't know, just ask our son. They keep their mouths shut. So they, the Pharisees don't get what they want either. And so they, crack, they push on and they have one more crack. They keep looking for a way to condemn Jesus. The parents wouldn't fess up, they haven't got what they want from the man but they go back to him and they push him again. And so once more, they go to the man Jesus healed. But unlike the parents, the man who's been healed of his sight, uh, he's just going to tell it like it is. And I love what he says to the Pharisees. Have a listen to this, verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. They've made up their mind. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've already told you, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, cheeky. So good. I love it. It's so good. I just love this because there's this beautiful naivety to this guy. He's just telling it like it is. He's just going where the evidence takes him. And so even when the Pharisees come at him hostile, he's just going to say what he knows to be true. I've already told you, he spat on my eye. I was blind and now I see. Jesus healed me. He's, he's humbly honest. Well, the Pharisees have had enough. And so in verse 28, they hurl insults at the guy. They abuse him. They, they double down on their rejection of Jesus. But at the same time that the Pharisees are kind of landing on um, their hostility and their anger, 
That's the moment where, for the blind man, all the pieces fall together. And he starts to see things how they truly are. He realises, you Pharisees are not seeing things clearly. You're determined to not see things clearly. You're, you're not looking at the evidence, the miracle. It's showing us that Jesus is from God. Look at it. It's all there. Verse 32, he says, No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man, Jesus, was not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, You are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they throw him out. This is the tragedy of the Pharisees' dogmatism. They had just written off Jesus from the start. They're saying there's no way this man's from God. We won't have it. And so even when the evidence of a work of God is clearly displayed before their eyes, their preconceived ideas prevent them from seeing anything and they show themselves to be blind. And so in rejecting Jesus, they end up rejecting the very God they claim to follow. But not so with the blind man. And here's where Jesus actually comes back into the narrative. Jesus enters back and he engages, he talks with the blind man. And where we first saw Jesus give this man physical sight, now we see him receiving spiritual sight. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And here's where I want to try and start pulling it all together for us tonight. Who are the ones who truly see? Where does Jesus draw that line between the blind and the seeing? Well, the first surprising thing to see is Jesus erases that line completely. He gets rid of the groups and he says, we are all spiritually blind. This is the assumption in Jesus' words in verse 39. He says, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind, there are blind, and they will see, and those who see will become blind. Now, this is one of those profound Jesus sayings, right, that you really need to slow down on. So, who are the blind? Who are the, Jesus says the blind are going to see. Who are the blind here? Is it the, the physically blind? Did Jesus come to, to heal every physical blind person? Well, evidently not. The kind of blindness that Jesus is talking about is spiritual blindness. People who are cut off from God, who don't know Him, who are lost and who can't find their way toward God. Well, what about those who can see here? Jesus says that those who can see will become blind. Who are the people that He's going to blind? It's the people like the Pharisees who can't actually see. 
It's the people who claim to be able to see, who say, we know we're not sinners, like that wretched blind man, like that sinner Jesus healing people on the Sabbath. We keep the Sabbath. We are righteous and moral before God and God will have us. And yet when God sends His Son into the world and does the very works of God, they won't see it. The very one they claim to follow. They reject God and His Son all the way up to the point of hanging Him on a cross. They won't have God. And so on the one hand, we've got this blind man. On the other hand, we've got the Pharisees and Jesus in the first instance, puts them all in the same category, erasing that line. As a starting point, we are all spiritually blind, lost, unrighteous, needing God to come and save us. Now, the blind man was not physically blind because he'd done some particular sin, but he was still a sinner. He was still a lost person like me who needed God. Friends, this is us. That's what Jesus is saying about us tonight in this part of the Bible, that without Him, we are spiritually blind. We're in a world that's actually dark and so we need Him to come as the light of the world to open our eyes. But how could, how could Jesus say that about us? How could Jesus say that about you? That you're spiritually in the dark, that you're blind. You know, surely the problem's out there. Surely it's the Putins of this world. He's in the dark, there's the bad guys out there, there's the good guys in here and I'm in this camp. Yes, Putin is in the wrong. But when it comes to spiritual reality, Jesus is shining a light, came into the world of darkness and shines a light on our hearts before God and shows that we, we are all helpless and needy. We have all sinned against God, we've all turned our backs on Him We've not loved God like we should. If God is there, if God is true, if God is real and He's created us, we've not given Him much thought. And so we've not loved Him like we should, but we've not treated each other like we should either. In our us versus them thinking, we've been proud in our hearts and we've looked down on other people and we've said, they're lame and they're bad and they're fools and they've got it wrong. We've just been like the Pharisees. And so Jesus says, it's not a problem with this group versus that group. It's not the progressives or the conservatives or the whatever. It's all of us are spiritually blind and needy and we all need Jesus. We are all sinners needing a saviour. And so there's the first thing. The second thing is that then Jesus redraws the line. But he redraws the line according to how we respond to him. See, he takes those who are blind and recognize their blindness and he gives them sight. The sight of seeing Jesus as the light of the world, God's Son who came doing the very works of God and he gives them sight. He brings forgiveness to this group who honestly, who humbly and honestly come before Him and say, I am helpless, I am needy, please save me, thank you God for sending your Son. He takes those people, He gives them sight, He shows them who Jesus is, who we are, who God is. But He takes the seeing, the people who say, I've got it all figured out, I know what's up, I know what's right, and He blinds them. He leaves them 
guilty. He leaves them in their guilt. The guilt of a proud heart, the heart that's walked away from God. And that's where the Pharisees end up, the good, moral, righteous, religious people. The final two verses in our chapter, we've not yet read them. Let's read them together now and see this is the Pharisees. Verse 40, some of the Pharisees who were there heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. See how Jesus redraws that line? It's those who claim they are fine without Jesus, spiritually healthy and seeing, it's those people who Jesus will hold accountable for their sin, for their rejection, for their hardness of heart toward Him. But to the blind, to the humble and the needy, who say, forgive me, I need help, to those people, He will not hold their guilt against them. Because Jesus came to take away their guilt. When the Pharisees do eventually, toward the end of John's Gospel, find a way to get Jesus, they have Him nailed to a cross, which we'll think about at Easter in a couple of weeks' time. But it's, it's that very death on a cross, which is the, the reason God sent His Son into the world. Where Jesus took our guilt upon Himself and He, the sinless one, gets punished for sin He's never committed. He gets punished for my sin, so that blind and sinful people like me could have their sins forgiven. And so tonight, the big question that we're left with is, can you see Jesus for who He is? Can you see Jesus for who He is? The light of the world, God's Son, our Saviour, or are you spiritually blind? You know, the irony of me asking that question, are you spiritually blind, is that uh, Jesus says spiritually blind people don't know they're spiritually blind. And so how do you know, how do you know if you're spiritually blind? Well, well, when we talk about, when we read this account of Jesus, when we see this, when we think of this, uh, how do you respond? Do you think, no, I'm not convinced, I'm fine without Jesus, I don't need Him. I'm not in the dark, how dare Jesus say that to me? Well, the harsh reality is that Jesus is saying to you, you're currently blind and you don't even know it. Now, I'm going to finish in just a moment, uh, but there's this, uh, there's a syndrome called Anton's Syndrome and it's where someone has, who has been proven medically, physically to be literally blind, you know, they've done MRIs, they've They've looked at the optical nerve and whatever and they've seen there's damage there. This person cannot see and we know it um, just by looking at him. We hold up a pen and say, what's in my hand? And he can't tell us. He thinks it's, I'm in a truck or something and they walk into walls and yet they claim they can see. They are convinced that they can see. We know they can't see. We looked at the brain. We see them. We watch them walk into walls and yet they say, no, I can see and they'll argue and then walk into a wall. It's a very rare uh, thing, apparently. Apparently, there's only 28 documented cases in all the world. But is that you spiritually? 
if you're convinced that you're fine with God without Jesus, that you know, you know what it is and it's all good, that you don't really need this Jesus to do stuff for you, to die for you. Or you're convinced that Jesus, he was a nice bloke but a saviour. Well, Jesus says you've got Anton syndrome, spiritually. You're blind. You know, it's possible to, be, to come face to face, to see it, to hear it. All the evidence that you need. It's possible to see all the evidence you need and to just refuse to see. To, to come up with reason after reason after reason when really it's all there. It's even possible to think that God is on your side to find out that you're just like the Pharisees. God's not on your side. You're in the dark, you're lost and He sent His Son to save you and just come have Him. Come to the light, friends. Come and see for yourself. Keep investigating Jesus. God has preserved the Bible for us so that we can encounter the light of the world. Keep investigating. Keep thinking. Come back next week. We would love to have you. Come back to Easter. Keep investigating these things. Um, Be willing to step into the light. Be willing to go where the evidence leads you. Don't be like the parents who know that it's true, but I'm not going there because that'll cost me. It might cost you. But you get the light of the world. You have God and His Son. You get to be forgiven of your sins, have your guilt taken away. Oh, what more could you want? Go where the evidence leads you. And for those of us who see, rejoice that though you were blind, now you can see. Not because you're great and I've got good vision. I certainly don't have good vision. God gave us sight. You were guilty. But Jesus died for you to take your guilt away. The sinless one punished for us, sinners in his place. Rejoice in that. And let's never be people who are proud in our hearts again. The reason we see Jesus, it's not because of us, it's because of him. He gives us the sight we need. Let's give thanks to our great God for that, hey? Let's pray. Our Father, we give you great thanks right now. Uh, We're so thankful that you have sent your Son into the world, that he came doing the very works of God, revealing, turning on the lights of how things truly are, who you are, who we are, and who your Son is, the Saviour who's come to, to reveal this, to go to the cross and die in our place, to take our guilt. Oh, what a wonderful Saviour. And we pray that you would continue uh, graciously, kindly to open people's eyes, even tonight. Keep opening people's eyes. Keep people investigating Jesus. Help us to, to go where the evidence takes us, to be humbly honest and to see Jesus for who he truly is, the light of the world, your son, our saviour. Amen.